call this church because we believe that the church is a people of God. The church is not a building and the church isn't, you know, a, an event, a service that takes place. But the, the church is our identity. The church is our family. The church, technically, in the Bible, is the people of God. And, um, and actually, the word that, that's translated from the Greek into church is the, is the word ecclesia, which most literally means an assembly or a gathering. So we call this a gathering. So, um, so welcome to the gathering of Valley Town Church. And yeah, you need to invite some of your friends because um, it is a lot more full in the first gathering, but um, just just a, a little announcement. We are growing. Since moving to two gatherings, we've made space, and we're growing, and it's exciting. Um, so uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series called Multiply, and um, we're going to be talking some more about finances and finding out what does the Bible have to say about the topic of finances and um, last week I mentioned that a lot of times people don't want to hear someone preach about money, about finances, and the reason is because oftentimes money has become our God. And we don't want somebody messing with our God. We don't want somebody to, um, to mess our thing up, right? And so we, we don't like that. That, gets us, that makes us feel funny, right? But, but money is, is a false God. It's an idol. And it promises things that only God can deliver, you know, security, comfort, safety. Um, only God can be God. And Jesus, he taught a lot on money. A huge chunk of what he taught on dealt with money and possessions because he saw that, that as human beings, our tendency is to, is to put money in the place of God in our hearts. Our tendency is to, to put our trust in you know this number that's in the bank or in this in this check that I'm going to get at the end of the week or whatever. Um, but I don't want to be a church that believes everything the Bible has to say about heaven and eternity, but not believe what it has to say about money. Because actually, the Bible has more to say about money and possessions than it even has to say about heaven and eternity. So, so we want to be a, a church that believes the whole thing that that grows in maturity as disciples, that knows, you know, what, what Jesus said, what God has said to us about all these areas of our lives. And so my heart in this series, Multiply series, is, is not that I want something from you, but rather that I want something for you. That I, I know that when we, when we allow our lives to come in line with the kingdom of God, when, when we allow our lives to line up with His Word, that 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 is a blessing to us. And, um, and so, so that's my heart behind this. And um, just to kind of really quickly recap last week, we mentioned that everything that we have is God's anyway. He owns everything, and, and, and we're just stewards. We just borrow. You, you didn't bring anything into this world when you were born, and you will not take anything with you when you pass on, I promise. And that's, that's because we're just stewards of what God owns. It says in Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. So if you have a job, it's a gift from the Lord. If you have money in the bank, it's a gift from the Lord. If you have the, the physical ability to work, 
It's a gift from the Lord. Steward that well and be grateful for what he has given you. So it's all God's. And we talked about that in the Old Testament, he, he required a tithe of his people, a tenth of their, of their earnings, of their produce. And, and that, that wasn't them giving something to God that he needed. You know, it was already, you know, God is sufficient. He doesn't need that. And it wasn't them giving something to God that wasn't already his. It was already his. But it was a reminder for God's people who God is. And that he's first. Not them and not their, not their savings account. But God is first. And God does all of these things. He instructs us in, in all of these ways to live because he cares about us. Because he wants what is best for us. He's not up in heaven, you know, pointing his finger with a scowl on his face, giving us commands. He is instructing us in the, in the ways that are best for us to live. So we said that God must be first. That's best for us. We said that God doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want your leftover time in your day. He doesn't want the leftover time in your week. He doesn't want your leftover money. Well, you know, I could... I can do without that. You know, I won't miss that. He wants your first and best. And we saw that in some scripture in the Old Testament where he says, no, I want your firstborn of your flock. I want the best. And, and so um, God wants, he wants to be first in our lives and therefore he wants our first and our best. And then we also said that God wants our first move to be toward generosity. That when we receive something from him, it's not the last thought. You know, uh, oh yeah, I forgot, you know, I should probably be generous or, or something like that. But it is the first move that we make. When we receive from him, we go, okay, who do you want me to bless, Lord? What do you want me to do with what you've given me? Our first move is to be toward generosity. And then what we're going to cover today is motive behind all of this. What what fuels this? What would cause someone to be generous? Why, why would anybody want to give up something? We're going to talk about motive. It says in 2 Corinthians, and if you've got a, a bulletin, these verses are on your bulletin, so you can follow with me or turn to it. I'm going to be mainly in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, but 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Paul is, is talking about, um, he's, he's trying to motivate the, the church in Corinth to be generous. And he's giving, he's showing them that, hey, there's this other church, and they, were so, they, they are such a generous church. And he's talking about their example, and he's, he's wanting to spur them on to generosity. And that's the, same, that's the same thing that I want to do this morning as well. By looking at our motive here, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, says, The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And some of you, maybe some of you this morning would say, yeah, God loves a cheerful giver. That's why I don't give. You know, you, you go, well, I can't do it cheerfully, so I just don't. And, uh, and I would say, you know, 
Yeah, that's right in theory. Don't give if you can't give cheerfully. Um, But I would challenge you. What Paul is saying here is not that, okay, the select few who can do this cheerfully should give. What he's talking about is that when you know what God's done for you, when you get what he has given to you, when you understand that he gave his only son for you, when you understand the blessings that are yours in Christ, that you, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because you're in Christ, when you understand the inheritance that's put up for you, that's going to be ours one day, when you understand that Jesus left the riches of heaven and he came to earth as a man to live here, to die for us. There's so much to be cheerful about. That we have this wonderful God who loves us so much, who is constantly showing us mercy, who is pouring out lavish grace on us. Moment by moment, He is loving us with an incredible love. He is an incredibly generous God. And when we get that, that that just really makes us cheerful givers. So, So what Paul is not saying is, if some of you can do this cheerfully, then you should do it. What he's saying is, we should all be cheerful givers in light of what God has done for us. If, if, if you have a hard time giving, one of the things that you can do is start to give. Because giving actually kills the idol. It actually destroys the hold that it has on you. I found that in times where God has asked me to give things that were hard, you know, hard things to let go of, it was like as I pried my fingers off and let go, oh, what freedom came. The idol was destroyed as I let go. I believe that because of what God has done for us, because of the gospel, Christians ought to be the most generous people on the planet. Right? We ought to be. We have been given everything. We ought to be the most generous people on the planet. Generosity is a really big deal to us here at Valleytown. It's such a big deal that... We, we came up with six core values that we said we want these core values to be interwoven in our DNA. Something that we pass on to each disciple. Something that is, is going to spread as we plant new churches. We want this DNA to go with those churches. And one of our core values is generosity. And the reason it's so important that we made it a core value is because if we are selfish and greedy, we will not influence anyone. You will never influence anyone for good by being selfish, by being greedy. The only way we'll ever have an impact on anyone, the only way that we will change our communities, our families, our workplaces, is by giving. Giving of ourselves. This isn't just a financial thing. This is a, this is a life thing. Your time. That's something that it's hard to be generous with. It, that's one of the, the biggest struggles for me is my time. I want to hold the little time that I have control over, and I, want, I don't want to give that away. But, you know, we got to give 
of our time sometimes to be able to impact people. Talents that God has given you, ways that you can, that you can help further the kingdom of God, those talents, those are on loan to you. You're a steward. So don't hold them tightly. Give those away. I believe that if we are not generous, then we automatically render ourselves ineffective for the kingdom of God. The moment we decide to be selfish and to hold on to ours, what's ours, then we render ourselves ineffective for the kingdom. We cannot impact others without generosity. And ultimately, generosity is a big deal to us because it's a big, because Jesus is a big deal to us. Jesus is everything to us, and everything that we do is about Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus happens to be the most generous person who ever walked the planet. He gave his own life that we could be forgiven. And so because Jesus is everything and it's all about Jesus, then generosity is a big deal to us. We're called to carry this message of Jesus, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, what he did for us. We're called to carry that to the world. We've been commissioned to take that to the world, to make disciples. So I believe when we aren't generous, we hinder the progress of the gospel. I believe that in order for us to be good representatives of Jesus, then we need to reflect him rightly. And he is generous. And so generosity is crucial to our mission. Here's getting to this, this motive. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, be, this is, he's saying this before the verse that we just looked at, okay? So he's just said that God wants cheerful givers. People who give not under compulsion. People who just give because they want to. So where does that come from? What, why would a person do that? And he said it in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. He gave up the riches of heaven so that we could be right before God. So that we could be forgiven. You may not feel rich, but if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you are rich. You have an inheritance waiting for you. You have a God who loves you. And you are rich because Jesus became poor. Because he emptied himself of all of his divine power and privileges to come and walk this earth. And he came here not as a prince or a king by earthly standards. He was born to a single poor mom in a poor town. He was a son of a carpenter. Jesus lived a humble life. He never sinned. He lived a perfect life on this earth. He completely fulfilled his father's will. He went to the cross, an innocent man, beaten, bruised, battered, 
torn to shreds by whips, and he hung and he bled to death on a cross for us. Not because of anything that he did, and not because we deserved it. Because he loved us, he gave himself for us. And because he did that, and because he was buried, and he took our sin on himself on that cross, and he took that sin with him to the grave, and he conquered it, and he rose three days later, and he is alive today. And because of that, we can have new life. That's the gospel. When we talk about this good news, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this incredible news that we didn't earn anything, we didn't do anything to deserve it, and yet we can be forgiven and we can know God and we can live with God for eternity because of what Jesus did. I mean, it it just doesn't get any more generous than that, what God did for us. I believe that we've got to see that. We've got to let that move us to generosity. And we've got to see that, hey, this is on us. We are the hope of the world, just as we sang. The church. There is no plan B here. Jesus, he, he commissioned the church to go and make disciples, and there is no plan B. We are the ones who are responsible now in his power, not in our own strength, but in his power to take this message to the ends of the earth. And that includes our neighbors, our family members who don't know him, our co-workers, our friends. And there are a lot of people in this church who are taking this seriously, and it's exciting. There are a lot of really generous people in this church who give of themselves and give of their lives and give of their time, and they're putting themselves on the line to take this message of the gospel. I believe that if we don't see southern Vermont filled with disciples of Jesus, it won't be because of God. He's committed to this mission. If we don't see southern Vermont filled with disciples of Jesus, it will be because of selfish, greedy Christians who decided to sit at home and be comfortable and play it safe. But don't get me wrong, I think we will see southern Vermont filled with disciples of Jesus because I believe that this church is going to step up to this to this calling. I believe that God is at work. He is moving and this is happening. This is happening. It is, it is absolutely mind-blowing just week after week hearing stories, miraculous stories of life change. God is doing that here in this community. And it's exciting. I think that If we want to be part of that, then we've got to be generous. We've got to be generous. We've got to give ourselves to this cause. No one ever lost anything by being generous. No one ever lost by being generous. I have never heard a story of someone saying, you know what, I was generous. I decided to give this thing up or that thing up, and I just regretted it. I've never heard a story like that. No one is lost by being generous. And you know what? You'll never lose anything by giving everything up for Jesus. You can't outgive him. You cannot. He says, test me in this thing. 
He says, see, if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on you until there's no lack. No one has ever lost by being generous. I would go so far as to say that what God has for you, no mortal being can take from you. If God has given you talents, no mortal being can take that from you. If God wants you to have, it's yours. But that if you want to keep what God has for you, then you need to give it away. The kingdom of God is so upside down and backwards for our thinking. But if you want to keep what God has given you, then you've got to give it away. So if God's given you certain talents to invest in the kingdom of God, and you hoard that and you don't use it, then yeah, you're at risk of losing it. If you want to keep what God's given you, then give it away. Because you can't outgive God. He loves an, he loves an open hand. He, he can't put, when we hold on to stuff like this, he can't put anything into our hand. But when we open our hand and let it go, then he can just keep pouring, pouring in, pouring in. It's how God works. Because he loves to see us bless others in his name. We represent Jesus well when we bless others in his name. Jesus changed me in this. I, he, 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 changed my, he changed me at the core of my being. He's changed me and he's still changing me in this. It's a process. But, but when the gospel changes you, then it isn't a burden to be generous. It isn't a burden to give of yourself. I want this challenge to go deeper than just, you know, our finances. This morning, I want this challenge to be for our whole lives. And so I want to ask you, is there any part of your life that you haven't given back to God? Is there something that you're holding on to? Most of the time, the answer is yes. I mean, because I'm constantly finding new things. God's putting his finger on something else. He's going, you didn't give me that. Oh, oh. And sometimes I battle. You know, I'll fight with him for a little while. Is there something in your life? Is there a part of your life, an aspect of your life that you're holding on to? You want control. You don't want Jesus to be Lord there He can be Lord everywhere else, but just not in this thing. And sometimes that is our finances, because yes, we can't serve both God and money. And money has a tendency to become a false God to us. Um, I believe that a generous church is a powerful thing. I believe that the local church, a healthy church, cannot be stopped. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. We oftentimes think of this as like hell is, you know, coming against us, and we are, you know, we're, we're in our little bunker. We're trying to keep protected. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus said. He said the gates of hell. That means the church is the one advancing. The church is the one going after the kingdom of darkness. We are the ones advancing. And the gates of hell, they're the ones bunkered up. And the gates of hell cannot hold us back. That is Jesus' church. It's an advancing church. It's a powerful thing. 
But I believe we've got to be a generous church if we're going to be a healthy church. Uh, back when I first was hired on as to become a firefighter back in Georgia, they, they, they did me a great favor and they hired me on early, before the academy was starting. It was, it was a great favor because we, I had been without a job for eight months and we were, you know, like desperate. So they hired me on early and they said, well, for a couple months, until the academy starts, you can work up at the supply department. And, um, and I was just a nobody, just went up there and just, you know, whatever they told me to do, stocking shelves, keeping up with inventory, things like that waiting until the academy started. The academy, you know, is like fire academy, which is like five, six months, and then you got EMT training, which is like three or four. But in, until you go through that, you're, I'm, I was just, I'm just working at supply. Well, they gave me a uniform and everything, you know, I had to wear the uniform to be up there. And, and uh, one, one day, this huge storm hits. It's massive. And the winds are, you know, knocking trees over, and power lines are down everywhere, and fires are springing up everywhere. And so the county is just maxed out. Big county, 31 stations, all of, everybody's just totally maxed out. But there's all these calls coming out, and power lines everywhere. So they, they come to me at Supply, and they said, Hey, we need you to do us a favor. We need you to take a car and go sit on some power lines. There's not enough trucks. We can't just waste a truck. Nobody can watch these power lines and they're down and we need you to just go sit on them and just wait until somebody can get to it. And uh, so I was like, okay. And they said, you're going to take that car and they point to a squad car with lights on it and fire stickers and, and you're going to take this radio. And I'm like, okay. This is cool. Alright. So they like start telling me, okay, so this is the radio and it's got like 150 buttons and they're like, just go to TAC 10 and you're just going to do this and this and this. And I'm like, I have no idea what you just said to me. I had not had a day of training, not one. And um, they said, and here's your, here's your MDT, you got your computer in here and just da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, I have no idea what you just said. Um, and they said, just do this one thing, just don't turn the lights on, please. Don't, okay. So I get going down the road. They give me the address. I get going down the road and uh, kind of, it kind of hits me as I'm going down the road like, I look pretty cool in here, you know? And they had given me a jacket. They had given, because it was really cold, so they gave me a jacket and it had a badge on it. Not one that I'd earned, but it had a badge on it. You know, right here, right on the sleeves. I'm like, putting it up against the window as I'm riding down the road. And I remember pulled up this big intersection and this police officer pulls up next to me and he like looks over and he's like, hey, yeah, what's up? And um, so I'm driving down the road. I'm thinking, I'm cool. I'm somebody now, you know. I get to the power lines and I'm sitting there and uh you know, nothing's happening. I'm just trying to make sure nobody... Well, this dog starts to go up to the power lines. And, I, and it's, you know, soaking wet outside. I don't want to go anywhere near them. So I think, well, what can I do? 
I don't want to roll the window down because that's lazy. I don't, you know, because I'm lazy. So I decided, well, I'll use the PA speaker. So I pick up the pick up the thing, and I, I'm like, okay, it must be that button right there. And I, I put, you know, I push the button, and I go, dog, dog, hey, dog, you don't want to go there. And the dog just keeps on going right towards him. And I'm like, dog, you don't want to do that. Dog, stop. And it just keeps on going. And I'm like, dog, hey, dog, nothing. About that time I hear, uh, this is Radio B, advise you're on tack two. <laughs> which, which is like the main tack channel that everybody's listening to all over the county. And so I like drop the thing. I'm like, oh no, oh no, 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 no. You know, they're, tr- they're going to trace this thing back to me. I'm going to get fired before I even become a firefighter. This is terrible, freaking out. So I tell that story to, to make this point. Just because I was wearing the badge didn't mean I was a firefighter. I didn't have a day of training. I didn't even know how to use the radio, much less know how to fight fire, right? But I thought I was somebody I wasn't because I was wearing a badge. And I got cocky. And my point is that I think in every church, and ours is no different, I think in every church, there are people who are wearing the Jesus badge. But nothing's changed about who they are. And they come to church, and so, you know, they think those are, those are points that I'm getting. You know, maybe they read their Bible some, so there's some more points. And I call myself a Christian, so maybe there's some more points. And they're fooled into thinking that because they wear the badge, that they're the real deal. Now, this is what happened to me. When I was a child... Um, I had a drug problem, meaning that my mom drugged me to church every Sunday morning, she drugged me to church every Sunday night, and she drugged me to church every Wednesday night. So I grew up in the church, and um, I, I, knew this, you know, I knew the Christian lingo. I knew how it all worked, and I knew what to say and not say. And, and um, the way that I understood being a Christian was that I thought you believe these certain facts, this list of facts about Jesus. And if you believe those facts, that's what it means to believe in Jesus. So I believed that Jesus was the Son of God, God in the flesh. I believed that he walked this earth a sinless man. I believed that he went to the cross to pay for sin. I believed that he died in our place. I believed that he was buried. I believed that three days later he rose from the grave. I believed all these things. Because I believed this list of facts, I thought I was good. My understanding, you know, was that I believed these things. Preacher uh, told me to come forward one day. I went forward. I got dunked, got baptized. So I thought, well, I did everything, you know. And then I just went and lived my life however I wanted. Until I would get, you know, into some trouble, then I'd pray to Jesus. Or, Or, you know... Just check in on him every now and then. Hey, probably should like ask you to forgive me of some things. 
And, um, you know, all through high school, I was rebellious. I, I did life my own way. I, I experimented with drugs and partying and everything. And then in college, I was worse. You know, I had more freedom and that equaled more rebellion. More anonymity, more rebellion. So, about a year into that, started to weigh on me. I started to feel pretty guilty about it. Started feeling pretty depressed, too, because my life was really empty. Because, you know, I would live for the party, and the party would come, and the hangover would come. And the next day, it was so empty. And oftentimes I would get home from the party and I'd be laying in the bed and alone by myself. You know, in the, in the parties, I tried to be somebody. I tried to be this tough guy that I, I'm clearly not. And I'd get home and I'd lay in the bed and I'd cry myself to sleep because I was so empty. And God, through this series of events, through what he was doing in my brother's life, he brought me to the place where I just, I was ready to make a change. So I, I, I decided, you know, I, I'm going to get my life right. I'm going to start going back to church. I'm going to read my Bible. So I started reading my Bible. I started visiting churches. And, you know, nothing was really changing about who I was. I was changing some outward things. I was reading my Bible a lot because I was really interested in it. I couldn't believe what a incredible book it was so I was really intrigued but nothing was really changing about my life you know my desires were still the same I was still I still couldn't keep myself from the party you know couldn't keep myself from the high or from whatever it was that it was pulling me and I didn't understand that I was like why am I I can't get my life right what what's the deal one day as I studied, as I read, I came across these verses that, I mean, they hit me over the head like a ton of bricks. I want to read them to you. They're, it's Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, this is Jesus talking, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And I read those verses, and for the first time in my life, I realized that there was going to be this group of people. Jesus says many, a big group who are going to come to the day of judgment. They're going to face Jesus on the day of judgment, and they are going to be shocked at what happens. See, I thought that everybody going into the day of judgment would just kind of know where they stood. Oh, there's Jesus. I rejected him all my life. And that they were just going to know where they stood. But what he says here is, they're going to be taken off guard. They're going to stand before him. They're going to call him Lord. You know, they've probably been praying to him all their life going, Dear Lord, I need this. I need that. So when they see him, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, you saw all the stuff I did for you. 
You saw how I went to church every Sunday. You saw how I got baptized. You saw that. You saw how I prayed that prayer. You saw the things I did. And he's going to actually look at this group of people and say, yeah, but I never knew you. I know you did, yeah, I know you did these things in my name, but I never knew you. And those verses woke me up from my sleep. They woke me up from this lie that I was living in. Because I, I had prayed a prayer one time, and because I had been dunked, because I'd been baptized, because I called myself a Christian, because I believed this list of facts, I thought I was good. And it was like he showed me so clearly, you're in this group. If you died today, I would say, I have no idea who you are. I don't know you. I realized that I had no relationship with him. I was living for myself. I realized that when, I, when, when the Bible says faith in Jesus, it's talking about putting your trust in him. Not believing a list of facts. It says in James chapter 2 that even the demons believe and they shudder. They, they tremble. We see that all through the Gospels. Jesus comes, he has these encounters with people who are possessed by demons and the demons fall on their faces. Son of God, what have you to do with us? Terrified of him. They know who he is. They saw the crucifixion. They saw the empty grave. They know that he's alive. They know the facts. But they're demons. Nothing about their life is in a relationship with Jesus. This week as I prepared for this message, you know, studying just the, the motive behind giving, it's like the Lord just really put this deep burden on my heart. It really makes me so burdened, so sad that, that there are these people in every church going along, you know, fooled. And so I felt like God said, well, you've got to share your story again. You've got to share your story about how I woke you up. Because it just might be what somebody needs to hear Somebody's going along thinking, well, I prayed this prayer one time. I asked Jesus into my heart. Or I got baptized. They don't have a relationship with me. And somebody needs to tell them. Somebody needs to warn them. The Bible talks about repentance and faith. Repentance, you know, doing good things, that doesn't, that doesn't earn any, that doesn't, earn you a spot in heaven or give you any, you know, standing before God. It is, we are saved by grace, undeserved grace, favor, through faith. So we're saved through faith, through belief. But the point is that when we truly put our trust in Jesus, repentance is a natural result. A changed life is a, is a natural result. 
what the Bible teaches, what Jesus is even saying right here, only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. He's not saying, well, if you did the will of my Father, you've earned your spot. What he's saying is, if you've done the will of my Father, you've proven that you actually put your trust in me. Because when you put your trust in me and I say, hey, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's the way to live. Then you go, okay, I trust you. You say that's best for me? Okay. You know, if, if we say, I believe, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I've gone to church my, you know, however long, whatever. But when Jesus tells me to do this or that, I, I don't do it. If, if, if that's us, then I, I think Jesus would look at us and say, well, so then who do you really trust? I thought you said you trusted me. Oh, I do trust you, Jesus. It's just that I don't really want to change this. I trust you with all that, though. He would go, no, 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 no. You said you trust me. See, real trust means that when he shows us the way to live, when he shows us what is the will of his Father, then we, we go, okay. Not that that's ever just this easy thing. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that you'll be perfect. I mean, I, I was sinning this morning. My way in here, I was frustrated because it was raining and there's snow on the ground. What's the deal? You know? And so I'm, I'm not saying that you'll be per. What I'm saying, though, I love this illustration. If you had a person who was perfectly in their right mind, completely together, in their right mind, you wouldn't look at them and say, well, they're possessed by a demon. Right? Because you would only say that if they were acting as if a demon was in them. But what, what happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus? We become possessed by the Spirit of the living God. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. To take up residence in us. And so why would we say, if there's absolutely no change, why would we say, well, they must be possessed by the Holy Spirit? And oftentimes, we live with a false assurance because of something that happened one time long ago. The Bible talks about, I was just reading the other day in Revelation, in Revelation, Jesus is addressing these different churches and the things that they need to do to repent. And he says, and he keeps saying the same, the same basic thing, to the one who overcomes, to the one who perseveres, I will give the crown of life. To the one who makes it to the end, I will invite you in. Why? Not because that is how we earn anything, but because that proves that Jesus has changed us through our faith in Him. Repentance is not something that we do to earn God's favor. It's something that we do because we have His favor through Jesus. So, I, I just, I, I had... I felt like God said, I had to share that this morning. 
And, and if, if you're here this morning and you've put your trust in Jesus, but you aren't surrendering over every area of your life, that's certainly possible. And I would just challenge you, you know what? Give it all to him. Give it all to him. If he's showing you, if he's putting, some, you know, putting his finger on an area of your life that you're holding on to, hand it over to him. But if you're here this morning and you feel like, you know what? I've been putting my assurance, I've been putting my, my confidence in, in my salvation in something I did once. Because I prayed a prayer one time or because I got baptized. That's, that's not what the scriptures say for us to do. They say, test yourselves. Examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. Not look back at a time when you prayed a prayer. What is going on right now? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Would he say, yes, I know you. Yes, we know each other. And if you're here this morning and you, you would say, no, I, I, don't think that, I don't think that he would say that to me. It's not too late. Do you know how many times I'd heard the gospel before I actually met Jesus? Countless times. Countless times. It's not too late. If you feel like this is talking about you, then you have an opportunity right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Call upon him while he may be found. So this morning, if you're here and you hear this good news, that Jesus came and he died for you. He lived the life that we couldn't live he died the death that we deserved, and he made a way for us to be forgiven. And you're hearing this, and your heart's kind of beating fast. That's probably the Holy Spirit working on you. So take a minute right now. I just want to give you a minute right now to deal with the Lord. Don't let anything distract you. Don't let anything pull your attention away from what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your heart right now. There is nothing more important than this right now for you. So I'm going to, we're going to just bow our heads and I'm going to give you a minute just to deal with the Lord, whatever he's working in you. And then I'm going to pray and close us out. Surrender every area. Give it to him. He's capable of leading your life. He knows what's best for you. He loves you. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your only son. You did not hold back, God. We thank you that you've made a way for us when we did not deserve it. When we have been rebels against you, 
we've just gone our own way, God. We've said, you know, I don't want to give this to you or that to you. You made a way for us that we could be forgiven and we could be changed. We thank you for that, God. I pray that right now, for those in this room who have been fooled into thinking that because they wore the badge that they were actually a believer. Because it's, it's more than that. We have to be born again. When we put our trust in Jesus, we become a new creature. And the old passes away. God, I pray that right now you would just pursue them with your love. Pursue them, pursue them, pursue them. Change them from the inside out. I pray that they would give everything to you as a response to your love. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If that was you this morning, I want you to talk to me. Come talk to me. I'm going to stand right here in the back. You come talk to me while, while we continue to sing some songs. And I want to help you get those first steps in this journey of truly following Jesus. I'm going to stand in the back. You come talk to me. Don't, be, don't let your pride stop you. Let's stand and worship the Lord.